0: Welcome to the Wealth Standard Radio Show, your gold standard in everything financial. Now, here's your host, Patrick Donahoe. Hey,
1: everybody. Welcome to uh, the Wealth Standard Radio. This is Patrick Donahoe. We are broadcasting live from Chile Chile Salt Lake City, but it's a good, brisk, chilly and I uh, hope everyone's having a great new year so far. We're going to kick off. I know we've had a couple radio programs already. But we're going to kick off with a pretty interesting topic today, which is uh, more or less a review of a book that has been making some waves in the financial services industry. And the book is called Money, Master the Game, Seven Steps to Financial Freedom. and It's by uh, Tony Robbins. So I, I assume we have a really – educated, and very well-connected listener base, So I'm assuming a lot of you have heard of this book. Uh, but I have some uh, some amazing people with me uh, to discuss this who have had experience with Tony Robbins in, in the past. So we're going to discuss those. Um, my good friend, Sean Fleming, is here. Sean, how's it going? Really good. You Good look, to be here. You look good. Thank you.
0: I'm feeling good. <laughs>
1: and, uh, and none other than, uh, than Brad Gibb.
0: Good to be here. I feel like part of an important company here. That's going to be awesome.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's going to be a, it's going to be a good show. I'm excited for some of the stuff that we uh that we have prepared. But a few announcements before we get going. So we uh we we just launched a brand new website. And so if you guys want to go to paradigm life.net. It's p a r a d i g m l i f e.net. You can uh, you can check it out. Let us uh, give us your feedback. We're still doing some you know little minor tweaks and minor improvements, uh, but any feedback, uh, positive and negative, would be very welcomed. So uh, so get a hold of us at info at paradigmlife uh, Also, we uh, we have a few few other announcements. So this uh, this coming spring, we're going to be doing. A virtual financial summit. We're going to partner up with Andy Tanner of the Rich Dad Company and also Tom Wheelwright of the Rich Dad Company, and basically put on a two-day virtual financial conference. Uh, so we're not going to give it too many details yet. It's going to be toward the end of May, uh, but uh, but stay tuned. It's going to be a going to be a cool cool event. Everything's going to take place virtually, so you don't have to leave your house or leave your office. You don't have to travel anywhere. You get to listen to some high-level speakers over the course of two days, all from the comfort of your own home.
2: That's gonna be so cool. That's
1: gonna be fun. That's gonna be really cool to to, to kick off. All right, few other few other things. Uh, actually, let's let's just get going. Let's just let's just. I, I I'm afraid that we will run out of time, so let's just dive. Let's just dive into this book. So one of the so th- this is uh, this book came out you know end of 2014. So Tony Robbins is a very famous, inspirational, motivator author. And uh, and so he he hadn't written a book in, in ten years. And and so this was his his book is it, it was this huge buildup and he has tons of uh, tons of credibility just based on who he's worked worked with. I mean if you go into the first couple pages of his book you have you know Oprah Winfrey uh, you have Usher uh, you have um, Mark Benioff the, the CEO of, of uh, Salesforce uh, and then you have Hugh Jackman I mean when you have the Wolverine giving you a, you know giving you a testimonial that says that says a lot but it, it's incredible the network that he has and and how he's been able to to leverage that to really build the content of, of this book. Uh, but what I want to do is, is just briefly talk about my experience with Tony Robbins and I want uh, Sean to share as well. Uh, because we've gone to his his events before and have followed him and and uh, read his books um Sean specifically last year and I don't even know did he even announce his book but when you went to his event last fall I don't remember him announcing it
2: yeah because he did I
1: missed it yeah because I did and i'll I'll give you my experience in just a second but you you went to one of his big th- was it a three day three day event yeah four day four day event and you took your wife and you took your your son as well and you had a cool really good experience it was incredible yeah so t- Tony's events are, are, it's kind of just, it's a, for lack of, you of know, a better explanation, because I haven't been to one of those specific events, it's more or less kind of just this life transformation
2: that takes place over the course of four, four days, right? Oh, that's exactly right. It is a massive party. <laughs> when, uh, when you think about it, Tony's, um, his whole goal is to help people have breakthroughs in all areas of their life. And he gets people together, and they're large, large groups, and he transforms the energy among thousands of thousands of people at the same time. And when I say it's a party, he's got old ladies dancing in the aisles. He's got young kids that, uh, you know, macho guys that uh, you wouldn't expect to see that doing really silly things, but uh, it's quite an experience.
1: Yeah, I, w- I remember uh, a few years ago at a conference in uh, in Las Vegas, he was, the, he was the keynote speaker, and for literally two hours – it was probably longer than two hours. He had people jumping and running around and hugging each other and yeah. giving each other high-five. It's, it's incredible what, how he compels an audience to just do some you know, unorthodox and crazy, crazy
2: things. And you walked on fire at the end. You did, you did the fire <laughs> I, walk. I did walk on fire. <laughs> and the amazing thing was just about everybody did. I don't know anybody that didn't. There was 4,000 people there. He got four thousand people to do this. It's pretty amazing. Yeah. So. So 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 my
1: so because I had this experience I went in Las Vegas and that was and I had known about Tony Robbins just from you know his books and audio books, but being there was was definitely a a shell shocker to an extent. Uh, But this past fall was uh, the first time I went to uh, Dreamforce. Dreamforce is this annual sales for we use salesforce for a lot of our technology and applications and they have this you know massive massive convention in san francisco and some of our guys have gone in years previous and then they were always saying you have to go you have to go so i finally caved and went this this past fall but tony robbins was the the keynote and and it was it was kind of watered down because he's in this room full of like you know kind of tech nerds and geeks and and uh, but still, he had everybody running around and jumping up and down. But probably half of what he talked about was this book, and he introduced this this idea that people have been taken advantage of; they've been exploited. Wall Street has caused this major rift in society in relation to the the two thousand eight two thousand nine meltdown, uh, and it was real. It was really compelling. And he started to talk about this book that he had coming out, and it hadn't come out yet. Um but it, it, it was it intrigued me to the core because I was like, wow, don't and he talked about all the you know the, the issues and the problems associated with, with Wall Street and financial services and money management and what they're doing to American money. And uh, and then basically just went into this uh, idea of him going out and, and interviewing the major movers and shakers of the world, the major financial mover and shakers of the world and interviewing them about what happened. And what people could do, so it fa- it fascinated me, uh, and I was on my phone looking at you know looking at stuff, and he didn't really have much in- information on the internet yet. Uh, but when it came out, I think I, I think I pre ordered pre ordered the book like you could pre order in you know there, um, but then you know the day it launched it uh, it arrives and it was a good read. It
2: would be interesting to see what his pre sales were.
1: Yeah, I, it would be interesting because
2: he's he's an icon yeah. and a lot of people follow him. And when he says this is going to come out, they just want it. Yep. It'd be fascinating to see what that was. But when you talk about going to Dreamforce, you know, in the book, Benioff talks about his success mm-hmm. that resulted from Tony Robbins. Tony Robbins, because yeah, he made because he was with um,
1: what company was he with previous to Salesforce? Was it Cisco Systems or was it? Uh,
2: now I'm forgetting right Oracle. now. Oracle, it was or, Oracle. Yeah, but when. And you've got a lot of people like that. And here's this $36 billion company. And he's very vocal about you know, his success starting with Tony Robbins. With Tony Robbins. And he was up there
1: basically like kneeling on the ground, bowing down to Tony Robbins it, at, the, at the Dreamforce
2: conference. Yeah. Well, my first introduction with Tony was in my um, late 20s. It was uh, the late 80s, right? And it transformed my life. I bought his original uh, cassette tape series. You know, it sounds like it really dates me there. But um, I listened to that, and that's what helped me, you know, transformed where I had the courage to get into commercial real estate and make a transition in my life that at that point in time was really, really difficult. Yep. So. Well, I think,
1: and I think it was – I can't remember who I was having the conversation with yesterday, but it's, you know, I think this time of year is when people feel compelled to make progress. And I think all human beings – Naturally, want to 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 be better and to have more and to be more and to do more and to give more, Um, but it's everybody has that. But yet, there is a lot of lackluster progress, just because it takes this, uh, I don't know, this this, something has to push you over the edge, has to compel you above above and beyond where you were at before to motivate you to actually make those changes. And if the motive, because you know how motivations occur. If it you know motivations are there's an insane amount of of uh, self interest or there's a ton of pain and fear that you want to avoid that is really what kind of moves people into making drastic changes. But I think Tony Robbins hits on kind of the core of positive motivation, and he does an, an incredible job with his books, with his seminars, um, and getting people to actually take those ideas that are already there and say I want to make I want to make these changes.
0: Yeah, well, and, and I think that. See, I was never exposed to Tony Robbins much growing up. It it just, I never came across that. But he did an amazing job taking a topic like money that almost nobody wants to approach. They're either intimidated by it or they think it's too boring or whatever it is. And with his influence, everybody knows the influence that he can have. Mm -hmm. And that came through in the book. He turned a subject that's, like I said, either scary or intimidating and made it something that you feel like you can master. I, I think... For him to write a book like this, I think it was a perfect mix of that that energy transformation into a topic that that most of us need. I think this is one of the topics that we need that transformation more than anywhere else. so I think it was a perfect person to bring that out right now and and get these topics out on the table using that positive emotional change I, I think it was such good timing for a guy like Tony to, to write a book like this.
1: Well, and I think that was, and like I said about Dreamforce, when he was on stage, it was you know he he isn't part of financial mm-hmm. services. He isn't a financial advisor. He doesn't own those type of companies. He is this kind of outside observer that was kind of caught in the same trap as every everybody else. But because of his network, because of who he knew, because of how influential he was, now what has been in news headlines what you know a lot of people know what we know now is more credible because it's coming from coming from Tony Robbins. So so let's talk let's kind of get into the the books. So the book came out around uh you know around Thanksgiving. Um, and I I listened to it on a drive out to uh, to Denver. I got a speeding ticket cuz I was so enthralled in <laughs> in the in the in the book. He <laughs> wasn't paying attention to anything else.
0: And where where did you take your wife to dinner to convince her to let you listen to this book on your drive to denver that's... i don't, rem- I, don't rem- I
1: don't remember i think i promised like big christmas presents or something i don't know <laughs> the real question is did he have the
2: headset on or was she listening to
1: no she i had the headset on she would um, kill me if i had that anyway that's another story <laughs> uh but I, but i listened to it and i i went i, I listened almost the the whole the whole thing um, just in the drive there and the drive, the drive back, and it was uh, it was fascinating. So let's let's maybe kind of talk about just some of the you know some of the things that stood out, some of the main things that stood out to you guys, and then we'll get
2: into some of the specifics of you know of the of the book and what it's recommending. You know, generally I love the book. I do have some mixed emotions about the book um, because the what it started from was the negative, right? But Tony, that was his motivation. Hey, p- people have been lied to. I'm sick and tired of this, and I'm going to speak out. And in the cover, right at the front part of the book, uh, he quotes Aristotle. that says, to avoid criticism, say nothing, do nothing, be nothing. And Tony Robbins is not that kind of person. Mm -hmm. He's going to speak up. But, you know, to echo what Brad said, he took something that was motivated by his frustration and even anger Mm -hmm. from the industry, and he made that very, very positive. I loved that part of the book. Mm -hmm. Um, but there were some things in there that I felt like he kind of missed you know I, I would have I was so excited as I was reading this book because and I think I even texted you one morning early i said is has Tony Robbins bugged our offices <laughs> because the first part of the book it just seemed like he was using the language that we use, mm-hmm. which was so refreshing
1: yeah and it's it 's more of those and i i I love the approach, which was he he talked about. You know, revisited the pain of that time period, and he focused heavily on. And this is what he talked about at Dreamforce too. Was was Inside Job, which was a documentary narrated by by Matt Damon that went into you know almost four hours of interviews and ideas about how all this thing, how this mess came to be. And it wasn't just Wall Street; it was it was academia. It was economists. It was other countries. It, it was just this m- massive shell game. And the American public is the one that got caught with their pants down.
0: Yeah, some of the, uh, some of the best parts of the book for me wa- were the parts where he, he didn't just start with, here's your dollar, this is where you need to put it. He went back a couple steps and said, you need to learn to add value. You need to become better educated. And he went places that a lot of financial advisors don't go in those areas he, you need to save more money yep. you know no, no one likes to be told they're lazy nobody likes to be told they're irresponsible mm-hmm. but he did a really good job saying you need to automate some of this you need to take responsibility over over having a an approach mm-hmm. a plan toward that so I like where he he, he kind of laid a foundation for you have to take responsibility for the for the education and the process and the steps mm-hmm. before you even decide what's where to put your money and and where those those strategies are. So I think that with that, that was the same thing, kind of like Sean, I, I kind of thought this just sounds like me. It sounds like what we are teaching mm-hmm. that that whole beginning. i I thought that was fantastic.
1: yeah, because if you have is if you have a general a general problem, a general issue, you go into you go into solutions. there's all sorts of different different solutions. And although, you know, there's a, a an investment aspect of, of the book, he did hit on some key elements, which is, you know, listen, you don't have to have these magical investments to to be wealthy. Uh, there are some other things that you can do to, to build a business, to create cash flow, to, to make an income, uh, to be better, to have, a be- have better employment because you are more valuable to somebody else and they're willing to pay you more because of it.
0: Yeah. And then he took numbers and made them real. He said... This isn't just we want to get a million dollars or two million dollars or five million dollars. He says, what does financial freedom mean to you? It's not the same for everybody. And he walked through a very simple process to say, this is how much I need. This is what I want to be paying for. And this is why it's important to me. Mm -hmm. And he he really got clear with the starting point and the end point, which made filling in that middle of what to do and how to get there – it made you be able to get more on board with it, be motivated to actually accomplish it and want well, it was reach- to learn was how to figure it, it out. Was in, exactly. It was reachable. It wasn't
1: pie in the sky. I remember some of the examples he gave was he asked people, like, how much money do you want to get to and why? And they said, well, I want to do this and I want to do this and I want to do this but it came out that those dreams their idea of financial freedom was a lot less expensive than what they had envisioned and there it gave them it gave them more hope and i think most people don't i mean i know ing has their like what's your number or whatever whatever this equation is and people people have this kind of arbitrary or this this idea of what that number is or what financial freedom means but they really don't know how to define it uh, and And what they're defining it as is maybe unreachable, but yet some of the examples that he used was know what you know the keep the, the end goal and deduce or you know do some deductive reasoning of, as far as how you know how to how to achieve it, And having additional insight will allow you to see that it's not as difficult as it may seem.
0: Well, and he did a good job not jumping too far into the fear motivation. We see so many people out there that's saying, everything is falling apart. You're never going to, the world's going to be different. Everything's going to go to garbage. And then you were supposed to be motivated to do something instead of just give up, right? So he made it attainable and achievable. Now it's not perfect. There, There's improvement. There's, there's still a lot to be answered, but he did a good enough job to say, this is achievable. And he, and he connected. He talked about I mean, he owns an island in the Caribbean, yet he's still connected with people who only needed thirty or forty thousand dollars a year to live. So he spanned that whole gap and said, "No matter where you're at, this is definable. This is achievable," and he he motivated people to take action. In a, I mean, it's still a contrary to the norm book, but he didn't do it through through the normal, you know, fear. Stuff that that yeah, a lot of people the do, crap out of you and great.
1: tell you to buy you know, tell you to buy some investment or buy something. Yep. yep.
2: Yeah, and that's because he really understands. I mean that's what he's about. It's it's overcoming fear. And the last thing he wants to do is present that fear. But I thought he did a very, very good job of identifying where things have gone wrong. And did that in a graceful way, but said, Hey, the way you have been taught really doesn't work and that's unfortunate, but here's a better way. And you know he was very specific about some of those things. The book was obviously a great marketing piece. Mm-hmm. I mean, was, he's taking no revenue from this book. The revenue's all going, going to, to charity, v- charity yeah. um, to feed others. And that's pretty incredible. But when you think about um, what he was pitching in the book, you know, If you look at the back of the book, all the companies that he's a part of, there's a number of companies there that um, really have an inside track on what's going on in the financial world. And so for his, op- his opportunity there is to share that and to speak out. And the way that he did it, um, in my opinion, was very graceful because it's a very touchy subject. It's put a lot of people back on their heels, and it's put a lot of people in fear mode. And he's saying, hey, you can now take responsibility you don't have to abdicate that responsibility to someone else own it and here's some ways that you can do it and i like i mean one of the one of the great things i think because he
1: he recognized that he is not he is exposed to the financial services industry he knows a lot of people that are movers and shakers but he went to who are deemed not just by him but by society as, as the experts as the ones that really know uh, what are, what's going on. And he went to them and interviewed them. And basically was kind of the advocate, uh, or the media, the, the, the intermediary between the American public and these untouchable, untouchable names, which I thought was fascinating. And it's an amazing thing to do, which is to recognize, listen, I'm, I don't want to say what I do, or I don't want to say what I think is the best advice. I'm going to go to the guys that have been doing this for decades
2: and decades and try to pry from them ideas that I can bring to you. Yeah, it's about finding those that have had success and then modeling them. Yep, exactly. and that's what he teaches. So, who are some? of the Let's maybe, Brad, do you have a comment, and then we can talk no, about some. I was just going to say he there. did
0: a good job setting himself up as the messenger, and you know, you can't shoot yeah. the messenger. So he just said, "I went out, gathered this information. This is what I learned," and and it really kind of put him in a neutral spot, and it's hard to disagree with him.
1: Yeah, great. so let's talk about maybe some of those some of those interviews. Um, so he talked to uh, John Bogle, who is is obviously he he has his he has his place in financial services because he you know he has a massive massive company so there is this kind of if you were to if he's going to trash on wall street financial services there's kind of this you know ulterior motive because it's like okay don't do business with them do but do business with me you know it's that that attitude. but at the same time he brought up a lot of you know, just his experience and what he does personally, and what he recommends. So, John Bogle, do you guys have any comments on the on Vanguard in general, and just how Vanguard kind of operates operates their business as far as what their kind of new objectives are?
0: We're fighting over the microphone over here. Um, <laughs> John Bogle's insights have have always fascinated me because I've I've always tried to connect. Well, he he trashes on Wall Street, yet they're kind of right in the center of it, yep. and so that balance has always been has been an interesting one, but I, I did like that their objective is to get the financial products um, that are most effective for the buyer and, and lowest cost to maintain. They're not trying to hit home runs. Uh, it's kind of like, um, what was the, the baseball movie? Um, the natural? No. Field of dreams? No. The one with Brad Pitt. <laughs> uh, Moneyball. Moneyball, where it's just get people on base, Right. <laughs> I, the baseball movies <laughs> like there's only been two of them right <laughs> the, but it, uh, it's the really just line. about consistent <laughs> consistency getting them on base and and getting through there and that sure. was that was kind of I, I guess what i pulled out of the objective of, of vanguard and why they're they try to put themselves as the advocate for the small investor
2: yeah and what tony was getting across there was you don't have to take as much risk, and you can still get higher returns. Mm. Well, I mean, I, I think just, I mean, it, it's
1: one of those, you look at the statistics of who's beat the S&P 500, and most money-managed, most mutual funds, like most, like nine, the upper 90% don't beat just the traditional indices. But yet you have access to et, you know, index funds, ETFs, that are directly tied to this index. And so why in the world... Would you choose something otherwise? That was kind of the idea around it. Mm -hmm.
2: And, you know, he he wasn't bashful about exposing the fees either prior to that. And then now he's interviewing these icons in the industry. So it, it gave a lot of credibility to what he had said prior in the book.
1: Yep. All right, so a couple other, a couple other people. So he, uh, he interviewed. What are some, some Ray Dalio? He interviewed Carl Icahn.
2: I like that he couldn't really get to Warren Buffett.
1: I know <laughs> he talked a lot about him. He sure but he did. He could not get. So he, <laughs> yeah. he's connected. But Warren, but basically, from what I remember in the book, Warren Buffett was like, "Listen, I write it all down anyway." I said there's, everything there's, I'm going to say. I've, I've said everything. I've written millions of books. I, everybody can access my, you know, my my annual my annual uh, newsletter. I have nothing else to say. That was basically
2: Warren Buffett's response to the request for being interviewed, right? Yeah.
1: <laughs> but still, it's one of those things.
2: What other financial book has interviewed so many icons None. in the industry? None. There's, I don't know of any. Yeah. I don't either. And not just icons in the industry, but icons who are really making a difference for others. Yeah.
0: Yep. So as much praise as we're giving a book, this is one area that that put me in a on edge just a little bit. It felt not entirely, but a little bit like a bait and switch because he said, hey, I'm going to bring in these wealthiest of the wealthy and and see what their secrets are. And what we ended up learning from them wasn't how they created their fortunes, but just how they're managing their fortunes. Mm -hmm. So it is something we need to be careful about. There are lots of principles that came out in the book, but the average reader is going to jump to, where does that person have their money right now? And I'm going to mirror that but we're missing the context or a step or two before that of how they created how they got there so that's the only careful part that i would advise the reader to as they go through this is we don't want to emulate these people of where they've got their money right now or the advice they would give on managing a portfolio portfolio that is already there it's the advice that they gave and it's in the book it just isn't i don't think it comes prominently to the forefront just because of the way of what we want to get out of it as mm-hmm. the reader, but the advice is there of how they created it and how they got there and how they managed it, and that's where I would focus on the advice that some of these people gave. And some of it was amazing mm-hmm. that I think is a little bit lost unless you're looking for it. What, like what what specifically
1: did you find that was lost or it was maybe hidden? in between what was said, in, in between the information?
0: I, I think a lot of it, Tony talked about a, a section earlier before the interviews about becoming more valuable and, and finding your calling and, and finding something that you can, you know, whether it's whether it's a job or your own business, it's treating everything that you do the same yep. and, and really being involved and in, in adding the value to where the world has to compensate you mm-hmm. for it. And then, well, that's where you, on that point, it's where you it's where you have the most control. I mean, the
1: mm-hmm. I think one of the greatest rate of returns that you can ever have is reading a book, being in a place where you can come up with an idea and bring that idea to your your employer or bring it to. Um, a a colleague or or improve a system at work doing that you can get a raise i mean think about you know bringing an idea and you get a ten thousand dollar a year raise how much money did you put into that zero it's an infinite rate of return and you had full control over it so that's one of the things i think you were you were discussing with me beforehand which is one of the greatest things one of the greatest assets you have is your mind your talents and your network the people that you know and basically becoming more valuable to somebody else is one of the greatest rates of return you could ever have so what you're alluding to is these guys have good financial advice what the the main Street person could take and um, and change up their 401 k or their portfolio or their other investments but what you're saying is that one of the greatest uh, things that they've been talking about is the fact that they took ideas that they had gathered through a career and brought it to the point where they were able to build a business and
2: be be valuable because that's where their wealth essentially came from exactly okay yep. well you also psychologically use those interviews as a way to teach something that he's you know is fundamental to him and that that um, of success, 80% of success is psychology, right? The other 20% is mechanics. So if we've got our psychology right, Brad and I could do things different. You and I could do things different. We can still be very, very successful. Mm -hmm. The most important thing is psychology. And these individuals had their psychology right. They went, they learned, they educated themselves, they got what they needed to have to be successful. The rest was mechanics. And then he took that and said, hey, this is still accessible. You may not feel like it's accessible, but what the wealthy do is accessible to you. And more so today than ever, just because of our modern era where
1: media is so easy to uh, to digest and consume because you have podcasts and you have webinars and you have books. I mean, there is no, really, the information that exists for really anybody to achieve massive wealth is, is there. It's just a matter of actually thinking and believing that, which is the psychology, and then taking
2: action. But our access has completely shifted. Yep. That article that you just put in the Huffington Post, you know, talks about how Wall Street is kind of being put back on its heels because of these new technologies. Yep. And our access to information is absolutely incredible these days.
1: Yeah, it's kind of it's kind of a uh, – I read a book, I think it was about, about two years ago, called The Paradox of Choice. <laughs> and it, and the premise of the book is that there are so many choices out there. It's like you're, like, you're like paralyzed. Uh, but at the same time, it's, you know, it, it's sitting back and, you know, and Tony Robbins does a great job at this, which is figuring out who you are, figuring out what your goals are. And we'll get into his, you know, seven steps, which include a lot of that. Um, but then going out and finding the information that's going to be applicable to you yeah. and then taking action.
0: And, and that's what I felt these simple, you know, these seven simple steps, which I don't know how simple they can be if it took 628 <laughs> pages to describe. But, you know, back to that eighty-twenty. The 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 seven steps is the twenty percent mechanical, right? And that's you have to have that. That's what I mean. People need a roadmap to follow, and that's what moves product and and sells books and things like that. But to me, the bigger part of this was saying, wow, what are the what was the eighty percent that those guys did? Taking it, adding the value, having an idea, and and having those mechanics in place to where they could make those decisions and and they could act on that. That was the the hidden message I guess that I dug out of it interesting okay so
1: what are there let's so a couple other people that's that he interviewed uh John Templeton uh Mark Faber the the doom and gloom he's a doom and gloom guy right yeah yeah, yeah. Doom,
0: gloom, boom.
1: <laughs> and uh and then T-Boone T-Boone T-Boon Pickens. Pickens I would <laughs> be interested to have interviewed him now that oil is declined by by 50 percent but or more than fifty percent. Anyway, but uh, it, it, all of them are really good. I mean, you whether you buy the book or whether you uh, download the audiobook, you're going to be inspired from it. You're going to learn learn a lot. You're going to learn about some of the wealthiest people that uh, that are that are out there in financial services and what they're doing, what they've done, and what they would recommend uh, for you to do. So I'd like to maybe transition a little bit uh, and then talk about just um, like what are some what are some action steps? These seven these seven steps. Uh, what what some of them are uh, and then also uh, what you could benefit from by by actually taking some action that Tony Robbins rec- recommends so what were what were maybe some of the the action steps I mean there were some tangible things that he that he wanted you uh, to do one of the things that I had never heard of before was this I- idea of uh, of acorns and uh, and I, I I put that in uh, that Huffington Post article that we wrote but uh but this Acorns idea, is, is fa- it was fascinating to me because it's a very simple app that you can download on your phone and it syncs up with all your bank accounts. And with every transaction that you make, it rounds up to the next dollar yeah. and, and, then- and it kind of accumulates that and invests it in no-load index funds. And you can choose a different portfolio. It's, it was fascinating to me to see that.
2: It's really cool because it's the same strategy as just taking the extra spare change that ends up in your pocket at yep. the end of every day and yep. now investing that. But it's taking the technology side yeah. and giving you the opportunity to round up or round down. Or round down, yeah. Depending on how you want to, you know, use that extra. And the swipe technology where, you know, I can't remember what the company was. Salesforce or I don't remember what the company is that's mm-hmm. doing it. But the extra spare change is being donated, Yeah, you know, to transform oh, lives. Yeah, yeah, that's right. So... The technology is there. But the first step that he was talking about, um, he just says, "Make the most imp- important decision of your life, which is really take back control, stop giving it to others, and that's really where it starts. Mm-hmm. We've got to be responsible for our own stewardship." Yep. What
1: are the what's the next
2: what's the next step in there?
1: So, uh, step, I mean, so step one is take control of your life, be educated. I mean, and I think he wanted people to follow the advice of these other individuals, but at the same time, it wasn't it's their it's their advice is it right for you maybe but that's your decision
2: yeah the second step was education that's a simple way to say it it's know the rules before you get in the game that's huge because so many people are diving into the game and they don't really know what the rules are so much of that was exposed in this book and so much of that has been exposed the last several years but know the rules
1: because it's so easy it's so easy these days for anybody to participate right you don't have to have the right jersey or live in the right neighborhood anybody can go on to ameritrade or e-trade or any type of brokerage account and put in a couple hundred bucks and they're you know automatically an investor but Mm -hmm. as far as what they think now actually what translates into an investor is someone that makes a return on their investment that's what we're talking about that there's not very many people that have made a return on investment other than the people that set up ameritrade e-trade and the mutual funds that back them
0: yeah, and, and that goes right into the, the third step, which is make the game winnable, right? If you don't know the rules, you're not going to be able to win. And unfortunately, we took the people teaching us the rules. Um, we thought they were on our team helping us. But instead, it was our opponent that was coming into our huddle and saying, hey, these are the rules which you need to do. If you're fighting, I mean, if, if you're, you would never let the opposing basketball team drop your play, right but for most people's finances that's what was happening so we were saying oh great well i'm going to do this and we led right into whatever they wanted us to do and so he did a good job kind of exposing that and saying you, know, you need to understand what the real rules are and then start to play by them and as you do that the game will become winnable
1: yep and i think one of the first it was the, I think it was an introduction and it talked about uh, gosh i can't remember the guys what's the guy's name into the introduction um, but he basically just one of those Wall Street Wall Street insiders, and essentially said that uh, the financial institutions are set up to make a profit for themselves and and not and not you. So it was Elliot Wise who is the founder and CEO of Hightower, which I think is just an R registered investment advisory. But anyway, I mean, it just it just basically said the whole game is set up for you essentially to lose, not not to
2: win. Which was
1: yep. you know so yeah. So that that obviously alludes the fact that you need to know what's going on, you
2: need to know the rules of the game. Okay. And part of that make the game winnable was, you know, in setting yourself up, it's know where the holes are in your bucket. He didn't use that language. But it was where where are the leaks? Where are you losing money? And then if you can fix that, can you now take that and invest that wisely? Yep. That makes a big difference. Yeah, and that's a big – it's a huge – being able to track and just having measurements, having a scorecard,
1: I mean, it would – Looking at basketball, or any any game, any professional uh, event, if you didn't have a scoreboard, it'd be nobody would know uh, who's winning, who's losing. It'd be insanely boring and n- never succeed. But because you have a scoreboard, now you can track who wins, who loses, and it's it's incredibly valuable for coaches when they're looking at you know how many minutes a person is on their average points and the average fouls and then they look at that as as it pertains to their salary i mean the analytics associated with just life in general these days tells you tells you something uh, objectively you're not guessing so obviously knowing holes it's you have your measurements you know what your cash flow is you know what your expenses are you know what your income is and there are free tools out there these days that anybody can determine that. It's just a matter of taking action and doing it.
0: Yeah, it actually made me think of, um, this is back in the day when I was in high school, I I tried to play basketball. I'm like five foot nothing. And so I sat on the bench a lot. But one thing that our coach <laughs> did for us as part of the JV team before, you know, as you were looking up to those that were on the varsity team, he made all the JV watch the varsity game and take all the stats. And he made it a point you know, each person had one stat that they were recording for the whole game. So the coach wanted those stats so that he could make decisions and make tweaks you know, in between games and watch it. But he made it a point to tell us as the JV players to say, as you're paying attention to counting rebounds, you're going to be watching what that guy did to get the rebound. So as I kept stats of assists or rebounds or whatever it was, I was then forced to watch what made that guy successful to get that stat. And even though I wasn't playing, just by recording it, I was getting better because I knew what was going on yeah. to influence those numbers. So as we track, whether we're doing anything or not, just the act of tracking, it's going to make us focus on it and we will find ways to improve it. So tracking is as valuable as getting in the game and playing for a lot of people in a lot of instances.
1: Yeah, I think there's a – if for those that are listening there. are – their, their their eyes are rolling back into their head, uh, looking at this kind of score game gaming or gamification is we're all compelled to to have that as entertainment. That's why sports is so successful. So what I would encourage if you have not been successful. Uh, keeping track and having a scorecard is to play cash flow play robert kiyosaki's cash flow 101 cuz it's just a it's a, it's a game and it gives you a very easy to understand uh, metric system and you win or you lose based on that metric
2: system and that applies directly to life well there's so much that you can learn in a game and the, part of making the game winnable is understanding your own psychology how are you going to act when times get tough or how are you going to act when things are great?
1: There was it was interesting. There's a, there's one of, one of a client of ours. They, uh, when they're high, when they were hiring their CFO, they had them play cash. They had the three candidates play cash flow together. (laughs) And there it does. It shows the psychology. It shows where a person's mind is at and, and how, and how they behave in a game. You act differently than in really in any other setting.
2: Well, I, I had never played the game. And we played it here in the office and it was absolutely hilarious. <laughs> I remember how my my entire demeanor shifted when all of a sudden things got risky. Yeah. And I saw that in others as well. Yeah. And so th- the game there, you know, we're going to perform there the way we perform in life
1: is that amazing and yeah. it gives
2: us an opportunity to yeah. see it without any real risk yeah.
1: so if you don't like budgeting or you don't like measurement or what go just go play that game and if you it's you can get them used on you know eBay for you know 50 75 bucks uh, or you can just go online and there's cash flow clubs everywhere if you want to go play so alright let's, mo- let's move on then we'll start getting into some of the things that we may not necessarily agree with uh, as far as our philosophy so uh, okay so what
0: are some of the what are some of the next steps so step four was talking about making the most important investment decision. And this is where, again, the the road, the the paths start to diverge here. But one thing you did a really good job of was talking about laying that foundation, creating the security bucket, and and build that and determine how much needs to go in there. And we talk about that with clients all the time. And it's another one of those things that gets – you know, clients kind of roll their eyes and say, I don't I want to know this. I want to know the exciting stuff. I want to know the stuff that's going to make me wealthy. But understanding that a base has to be built first before any of the other risk can be taken sure. uh, was very important. I thought that was a good, a very good step to to point out. I agree.
2: And he was really saying how important allocation was, that your allocation decision is going to be the most important decision of your life. What was hard for me in this section of the book, was it really still encouraged returns. And, yeah, we can get those high returns, but psychologically, as you read through this, it still led you to believe, hey, I need that higher return, mm-hmm. which speaks to that psychology, right? No, and that's, and I, I 100% agree with that.
1: And, again, it's it's the it's the rhetoric that's out there just in relation to what everybody is is searching for. So, yeah, rate rate of return is – and one of the things I like that Tony Robbins pointed out, which is this conversation that we always have, which is average versus actual returns, and actually being able to track what you're earning and uh, and make adjustments. Brad, are you going to say something? Yeah,
0: and in the next step, he kind of talks about this too, things like having the upside without the downside. Again, we all want to say, well what investment will give me an upside rate of return without the downside risk? But going back to the the quick example you used about investing more time in your job to get the raise, you've got an upside of a raise, what's your downside? Yep. Nothing, okay. right? So let's look for the areas that are maybe not necessarily rate of return oriented Mm. that can give us that upside without the downside. All the stories he talked about the guys he interviewed, they were all making upside decisions, not necessarily with money, not necessarily with investments, but with their business or whatever idea they had. Mm. That gave them the upside without the downside. So looking at the areas in your life where you can have the upside without the downside, as we talk about, you know, where our money flows and what purchases we're making and, and the, the strategy that we're implementing, there's lots of upside that isn't mentioned here that's not, I'm going to invest in A or B, but looking and saying, well, I've got money that I'm already spending over here. Can I give myself an upside? And then there is no downside because you're already engaged in that transaction. Hmm. So that idea of having that security bucket that then allows you to flow your money and, and achieve those upsides is a huge piece that Goes unspoken in a book like this. Interesting. Okay. Sean, do you have a comment? No, I just, I love the way Brad Brad said that
2: because, you know, the most important thing is how we make decisions about that risk when times get tough. When times are great, it's really pretty easy to make good decisions. But the mark of a good man, the mark of a good investor, man or woman, is how they're going to act when times get tough. And everybody can tout that they've had great returns, but how long? Have they had great returns? But he taught you know some of these interviews these these figures have had incredible returns for a long long time, and you can't dispute that. It's kind of hard to to hear that and go, "Gosh, I haven't had that kind of success." You know, what am I doing wrong? Mm -hmm. But that allocation assess you know how you're allocating that's important. And do, are you really in a position to take risk? Yep. And that's one of the things about the traditional financial planning world that I have a difficult time with, is I think there's too much risk assessment, too much focus, focus so and emphasis solutions. on risk assessment, rather than let's be conservative, and when the great deals come along, now we've got cash to be able to take advantage of them. So so
1: what would you say are some some alternatives? Because we're kind of running, running a little short on, on time but what would you say looking at kind of this this allocation idea like as you were reading through here what would you have done differently brad
0: yeah the things i would have done differently would have been some of the some of that 20% mechanics because a lot of the investments he was giving are taking control away from you yes it's reducing fees yes it's it's a more secure place than the ups and downs of of you know maybe just an ordinary mutual fund versus an index fund But that index fund still doesn't give you control over that capital. Mm -mm. It's in that location, especially if it's a qualified plan, especially if it's something like an annuity. Those typically, you don't have access or control to those to change your mind or to, like Sean was saying, to take advantage of a greater opportunity that would come along. So the vehicles that are chosen, I would build the basis instead of building it with index funds in my qualified plans, I would be building it with cash value. Because we get very similar returns, very similar cost controls, we get the added security of life insurance, and then we get the biggest security of the accessibility and liquidity to be able to move it around. So there, I think there were some better bases to build. So the 80% was there, and I think just tweaking some of those 20% mechanics into something that that allows you that control to then be able to take advantage of the unique ideas or unique opportunities that come to you as an individual investor.
1: Yeah, as I was reading through it, one of the things, and I kind of hit on what you were saying, Sean, is looking at, looking at what drives a person, it's, it's their emotions. And like you said, when times are great, that's, it's the, the, the identification of that great time is all emotional. It's what's going on up here and everything's positive. And you think a specific way, but then when things are not going so great, you think a completely different way, and that influences your behavior and influences your your decisions. And so, as I was kind of getting into this, both from you know maybe just a, an, an average Main Street uh, American looking at where I think there is the most benefit is is being able to avoid just third party debt, even just avoiding simple credit card debt or car loan debt or lease debt. That in and of itself will produce greater returns than than any of these investments really do, and then when you get to more of the sophisticated investor, yeah, this, some of these options may be appropriate. But sophisticated investors typically have really good opportunities. It's to buy a, a property at a fifty percent discount. Um, I use the example sometimes of, of a car I uh, car I bought where I had to come up with money that day, but I bought the car at fifty percent of the of the value. And if I had actually bought at at the true value, that right there would have been a huge cost to my overall macroeconomic plan. Do you you have a comment, Sean?
2: Yeah. Step five was, you know, he just called it the secrets of the ultra-wealthy. And that's where he talks about life insurance, Mm -hmm. you know, well-designed life insurance, and annuities. And the gap for me was, you know, that topic and the prior topic. Because there's so many things... There's
1: something missing in that gap?
2: Well, that's where I wanted to jump in and rewrite parts of the book. <laughs> but he didn't need to do that. What he was doing was just identifying this for people. But the opportunity to utilize these tools that he's talking about in Chapter 5 to increase what you're doing in, in Chapter 4 or Step 4, that's huge, in my opinion, because that's where we make some of our greatest moves in the game. Not everybody is an accredited investor. Not everybody can take advantage of all of the opportunities that are out there, but everybody can take advantage of what we're doing to create a foundation mm-hmm. so that we can utilize our cash well. And when we utilize our cash well, there's all kinds of savings, and those savings, as he talked about in, I think, step three, now we can use that to reinvest and play the game at a higher level. Love it. Great
1: great, great points. So what other, what other maybe we'll transition to some of the things like investing, like step six was like you said, investing like the 0.001%. I mean, he gave like this, you know, this, uh, this secret, this secret, like Ray Dalio's secret, uh, portfolio, portfolio mix. Um, and so Brad, do you have any other maybe recommendations as far as looking at what was recommended by Tony and maybe some things that you would have done differently?
0: Yeah. Uh, Listening to the, the all weather portfolio discussion is where I, I started to get just slightly nauseous. Um, and again, it goes it goes back to to the idea that that's not where he made his money. There's there aren't if you're turning your money over to somebody else to invest it for you, you are giving up a, a huge part of the the potential benefit that can be had. I think people can do so much better keeping a hold of their own investment capital. And then, and then finding ways to utilize it like you, you can get a, You got a better rate of return out of buying a discounted car than you could have been taking that same amount of money and investing it. Mm-hmm. It would have taken you years to accumulate the same impact yep. to your balance sheet. Um, and there are very simple ways, again, whether you're v- starting out at the very beginning, you know, one example I use all the time, my daughter has piano lessons. It's eight months out of the year. And if I pay up front, I get one month free that's a one out of eight is what, 16% rate of return or something? I mean, that's huge. So if you can start there, anybody can make those kinds of rates of return. But then it extends all the way up to the more sophisticated investors, again, not turning their money over to, because even taking advantage of a rate out or your portfolio, you're still turning your money over to Wall Street. Mm-hmm. You're still turning it over to somebody who doesn't, even though they've structured this product to be better than others, they still don't have your interest at heart. Mm-hmm. And so you retaining control and understanding what true investing is Mm -hmm. that it's an active endeavor and that it takes some knowledge and and there are opportunities out there for everybody to do that is where i i wanted to that's the part that i wanted to rewrite of this and say wealth is not created passively Mm -hmm. we have to find more active ways to be involved whether that's starting a business whether it's buying real estate whether it's I mean, there's any number of things that that somebody could do if they didn't go down that route of, of turning their money over to somebody else. Yeah, and
1: that's one of the, one of the things I noticed. in there was he didn't make really any mention of of real estate. I mean, they had real estate that was more tied to ETFs or tied to the market, but there really wasn't this emphasis on you know real property or even your how to manage your primary residence, and just very very simple things that I feel have much less risk than putting your money into, I mean, this is maybe a little bit more credible black box where you mm-hmm. spin the crank and it spits out whatever, um, but so you have no control over that. Whereas with, you know, one of the greatest investments in my opinion is just a, a simple three bed, two bath rental property. That you know you just look at average performance over a thirty year period of time, it would take an insane rate of return, both with the growth of that asset with it with the leverage you can get for it and then the income they would produce for a person's retirement it's just it's it's hard to uh, it's hard to beat that anywhere else
0: yep, and it was those fundamental principles of investing that I think we're missing, things like leverage, things like velocity, things like you know the the accelerated compounding that that we're just missing this was still just focused back at a one step one place rate of return. Uh, I, I think those were the the principles that that weren't taught. They do, You don't leave this book knowing how to be a better investor. You know how other people are doing it a little bit, but you don't really know those principles. Like you said, the reason a three-bed, two-bath house is such a good investment is because of how you make that purchase what tools are made available to you you've got cash flow appreciation tax advantages and leverage happening all in the same investment yep. we were never these other investments that are that are pitched in this book don't contain those true underlying principles nope. that make somebody an investor that's the big hole to me in the book great point do you have
2: a comment? And yeah, these are great places now, but if everybody that bought this book goes and runs to them, how's that going to shift the game for those guys? Yeah, I know. I don't know. Yeah. Are they going to be top of the shelf next week? So it's about learning the fundamentals. Mm-hmm. So regardless of what's going on in the market or yeah. who's good or who's not, you still play the game well. Yep. And you know, I, I guess I, it would have been a 1,000-page book if you'd have done all those things. That We might have liked to see, yep. but I thought he did just a brilliant job of saying it and saying it in a way that nobody else had said. And for us in what we do, that, that's a nice thing because when somebody like him goes out and paves the way, it creates a lot of dialogue. And it's going to give a lot of people an opportunity to ask better questions. Yep. One of his sayings is the quality of your life is in large part dependent on the quality of your questions. Yep. So Tony's inspiring us to ask better questions yep. here.
1: And there's always, you know, as far as solutions, because once a person recognizes this, they ask those questions, they realize that something's up. Now they're in the position of, okay, well, what, do, what do I do? And this gives some you know, tangible things that a person can, can do. Is it everything? Of course not uh like you said it's it's hard to be comprehensive with all the different solutions that that are out there um uh, but like you said he did a he did a great job of presenting the problem and just giving some viable solutions and inspiring a person to, to to have hope to not think that they've lost the game or the game's unwinnable they they now have some course that they can start to take to make better decisions ask different questions
2: yeah and i <laughs> Brad, when you say it, it kind of turned your stomach, I dig that because you are such a good critical thinker, and you can see between the lines better than 99.9% of the people. It's, um, it's all because he was on the sidelines doing basketball statistics right. on the <laughs> JV team. But what I liked about Chapter 6 was it was about modeling excellence. So what are the .001% doing? And when we understand that principle, all we've got to do is find the successful people. Patrick, you're successful. How do you do it? What are you doing? I want to know. Ask those questions. And he's giving people an opportunity to ask questions of those that couldn't normally you wouldn't have access to because he's the figure that he is. He got an audience with these people, and that's pretty fun. We can't stop without the last one, though, the last step. You remember what that was? Yeah, it's all about – it's a – well –
1: from what I remember, it was about you as the greatest asset, and basically building your life
2: and helping, and giving, creating yeah. for other people. Yeah, and enjoy it. Yep. Enjoy where you are. Be grateful. So gratitude was that seventh step. And, you know, that's that's kind of that law of compensation. What do we give in this game? As we're playing the game, we've got the opportunity to teach other people. We're in the game of education as we're playing our own individual games, mm-hmm. but everybody else that's out there, they're adding value to the world. And I just loved that he ended the thing with gratitude. Yeah. That's my woo-woo side. But well, there's so much callical. truism
1: to that. I mean, it, it's obviously that money is one of those things that you, I think mastering that in life is just is one of those things. But at the same time, it's not everything. And I think a lot of people put a huge emphasis on their life just revolving about around money and what money can buy. But at the same time, it's it's who you are and what you're becoming. And this idea of log of compensation, which is a, a Emerson Emerson idea an Emerson essay, is you're you're going to get more than you give. So if you want to get and you want to have, you need you need to give more. And everybody has this infinite ability to give. I call it you know kind of the the infinite or the universe's bank account, which is it is it's infinite. It has everything. It has inspiration. It has ideas. It has connections. It has relationships. All of which is available to you. But the way in which it works is you need to make deposits before you can make withdrawals. And those deposits are, you know, going out and creating value is becoming more, it's being better, it's serving, it's helping, it's being being a good person. And I think that in and of itself goes goes a long way. And if you have all the money in the world but you don't have that aspect of it, then it's all it's all for naught.
0: Yeah, it goes to the cliche of be do have, right? That's the that's order is there on purpose. You've got to be the person that is wealthy already, you got to have those fundamental attributes, then you need to do and then you will end up having and the law of compensation is the same as the law of exchange and in investing value is created through exchange and that, that law transcends money, it's in, into everything so with the universe you have to exchange something in, in your relationships you have to exchange something for that to be of value. And, and this is his idea of saying, okay, this is your chance to exchange, go give and be part of that pool of exchange because it will, it it will just, it will create the wealth that you're looking for and all of those around you. Cool. All right. Money,
1: money, master the game. Uh, Seven simple steps to financial freedom by Tony Robbins. Thanks uh, for joining me guys today. This was a enlightening conversation. Uh, Those listening, uh, it's on audiobook. And uh, there's lots of uh, lots of critiques out there as well. It's gotten quite quite the press, um, but uh, but go out. It's definitely a good read. It'll definitely inspire you to uh, to be better. So that's uh, that's it for us today. You guys have any parting words of wisdom? Go be do. <laughs> okay. <laughs> thanks. Is shot. that what you said,
0: Brad? Uh, close enough. <laughs> close. You got the s <laughs> Cool. All right. Well, thanks
1: thanks, uh, thanks for tuning in today, guys, and uh, we'll see you next time. You've been listening
0: to Patrick Donahoe on the Wealth Standard Radio Show, your gold standard for everything financial. Thank you for listening.